Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. and a very warm welcome back to another episode of Wellness with Liz Earle. Now this week I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Simon Dial based at the University of Roehampton. Simon is an absolute expert when it comes to the brain, the way it works and the role that omega-3 fatty acids play in brain health. He's joining me here in my wellbeing studios to take a deep dive into the latest research and scientific understanding of the role of omega-3 brain health. Welcome Simon. Hello, thank you very much for inviting me. Well, it's very nice to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to this because my writing career actually started with a book all about fats and oils going back nearly 30 years. And that was when I think we were first becoming aware of the different types of fats and the importance of health and well-being. So where did your journey with it start? Um, yeah, my journey probably started around the same time, um, around the middle of the, the 1990s. I was uh, working as a, a fitness instructor and as a personal trainer. And about that time, there started to be a real interest in flax oil and in supplements and in this kind of nutrition to benefit inflammation and benefit health. And um, I wanted to learn more about how this worked. So I did an access course and then I did a degree in biochemistry down at Sussex. And at the end of my degree, I was looking for where to go. And this PhD studentship uh, came up with um, Dr. and now Professor Adina Michael Titus and Greg Michaels at Queen Mary. And it was looking at the role of omega-3s in uh, what's called neuroplasticity. So this is how the brain adapts to things. So it's looking um, from a, a real um, uh, deep science perspective on what do omega-3s actually do within the brain. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was a, a really good opportunity to explore and, and to develop this field, which was fairly new at the time. Yeah. Uh, and it just kind of went on from there. I did finish the PhD and we found some really interesting stuff uh, related to brain aging, but also um, spinal cord injury, how omega-3s could benefit uh, the effects of spinal cord injury. And it just kind of went on from there. So wow. I was really kind of taken by... The omega-3s are um, particularly diverse in their effects. So you can look at omega-3s in terms of inflammation, in terms of heart disease. You can look at omega-3s in terms of brain health. You can look at omega-3s in terms of arthritis. Because they work at such a fundamental level, they're a real kind of um, treasure trove of opportunities for research. So it's just kind well, of I love that. I love the way you there. describe that as, as a treasure trove. Yeah. So let's just go through what we're talking about here. What are essential fatty acids and how do they differ from perhaps the normal fat that we might find in food? Or are they part of that? Yeah, so that, that's a, a very easy question, but it's also quite a, a complex question. Uh, so anything that's kind of defined as essential means you have to get it from the diet. So an essential fatty acid is something that we can't make. We have to get from our, our nutrition. So from um, the different kinds of essential fatty acids can be from plant forms or from animal forms. Mm -hmm. So there's different kinds of essential fatty acids. There's the, the shorter versions, things like alpha-linolenic acid. So alpha-linolenic acid is found in um, nuts and seeds and, and that kind of stuff. And then in the, the body, this can be converted to slightly longer versions of it. So things like uh, people may have heard of EPA and DHA. Mm -hmm. So EPA is... Uh, 
the, the full name for it is icosapentaenoic acid and DHA is docosahexaenoic acid. And these, <laughs> <laughs> and these are the, the fats that are found in the fish oils. So if people are taking fish oils, they're getting the EPA and the DHA. And if they're taking the, the flax oil, then it's alpha-linolenic. So these are... Um, Alpha-linolenic is what's called a dietary essential fatty acid. We can't make alpha-linolenic acid. We have to get it from the diet. But we can convert alpha-linolenic to the longer versions of it. We're just really, 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 really bad at it. Right. So we are terrible at converting alpha-linolenic to EPA and DHA. Okay. So there's a series of enzymes that do the conversion step, and we just have very poor efficiency. Mm -hmm. So if you want to increase your alpha-linolenic levels in your body you ingest ALA. If you want to increase... So that means eating lots of nuts and seeds, yeah, so you eat, flax seeds Exactly, and, yeah. So and you other get things, presumably? I mean, do we have to eat those slightly old things? Um, well, it's, it's an oil. So walnuts, for example, are quite high. Pumpkin seeds are quite high. So it tends to be found in the, the seeds because it's an oil. Right. Um, there are other versions of it, but it's not quite so nutrient-dense. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get the best sort of bang for your buck, then you mm -hmm. need to get the nuts and the seeds. So you really, we do need to be eating nuts and seeds then for, <laughs> for the ALA. This is what I'm going to come round to at the okay. end. Okay. Yeah, so, so, right. so this <laughs> is... Hold off. Hold off on that. <laughs> hold that thought. Yep. So then you've got the, the longer chain versions, the EPA and the DHA, which you get from the fish. And I was saying, we're very bad at converting them. So if we can have a, a mountain of pumpkin seeds and we won't make very much DHA, we, we convert less than mm. sort of 0.01%. Wow, that's a tiny amount. So, and is that the same? I know that vegetarians and vegans are often told where well, you can have flaxseed oil yes. that will give you your EPA and your DHA. Is that the case? No. Right. Okay, no. that's a it, short answer then. The short, short answer <laughs> is no, you won't. The, the longer answer is because you're having less, you're probably better at recycling, conserving it, but your blood levels will be lower. Right. But what about things like algae? Al algae, uh, that's, that's another one we'll hold back okay. on for a moment. Yep. So the, the DHA, if you want to increase DHA, the only way to really increase your body levels of DHA is to take DHA. Really? Yeah. Um, the other way is to, um, so there's the omega-3 pathway. Mm -hmm. There's an, a parallel pathway of omega-6 fatty acids. Right. And the conversion of omega-6 fatty acids shares a lot of the same enzymes. So... Linoleic acid is the equivalent to alpha-linolenic acid. And our diet is very high in linoleic acid, which makes the conversion process of alpha-linolenic even harder. So there's a, Yeah, exactly, or okay. inhibits it. So mm -hmm. there's two ways to increase DHA levels. One is to take DHA. Mm -hmm. The other one is to decrease your linoleic acid intake. So are we decreasing our omega-6s? So the, the goal, if you want to make more DHA, you need to decrease your omega-6s. Mm, because, I mean, for a long time, we've been told we need to increase our use of things like the seed oils, like sunflower oil and the polyunsaturated oils and the polyunsaturated sunflower spreads, which are supposed to be so healthy for us. Yeah, that's a whole separate issue. OK, that's a whole but that's separate not issue. necessarily the case. Though. It's not. No, so Fine. it's not. We are, as a society, uh, so if we look at our evolution, mm. our evolution has been and predominantly you know, hunter-gatherers, and then we had the agricultural yeah. revolution and the industrial revolution. But most of our evolution, our omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, is probably about 2 to 3 to 1. So we're in terms of omega-6s, we have about 2 or 3 times as much as omega-3. Mm -hmm. The current Western diet is probably around 14 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3. So omega-3s That's are important... Massive. But the omega-6s are much more heavily involved right. in our diet. Uh, the sunflower oil, the safflower oil, all these kinds of things are very high in omega-6s. Corn oil, for example, in everything. is very high in omega-6s, mm. which are detrimental to our omega-3 metabolism. Right. So we need to be thinking about increasing our omega-3s, but also decreasing our omega-6s. Right. So these sunflower oils, these safflower oils that you know have these health properties, we need to be thinking about decreasing because of mm. the effect it's having on our omega-3 metabolism. Mm. That's quite a controversial message, isn't it? It's the, the evidence is there that societies that have a higher omega-3 ratio yeah. tend to suffer less with things like depression and dementia and, and all this other kind of stuff. So it's, we need to be thinking about decreasing our linoleic acid intake yeah. for mental health for for mental health yeah for let's say there's um joe hiblin in the states has done work looking at the relationship between fish intake and depression in different countries and and countries that tend to eat more fish have less depression 
Fascinating. So really fascinating. It is. And that really leads on to what you have been doing so much of more recently, and that's your work with brain yeah. function and brain health. Am I right in saying that we have most of our DHA and EPA actually in the brain? The DHA is found at high levels in two main places. Uh, so the brain's about 60% fat. Mm. Um, of those fats, you've got these different fatty acids. About 12 to 15% of the fatty acids in the brain are DHA, and probably around 10 to 12% are arachidonic acid, which is an omega-6. So DHA is found at very high levels in the brain. But the place it's found at its highest level is in the eye. It's in the really? retina. The retina has, has, has very high, about 20% of the retinal fatty acids of DHA. So it's very good for eye health as well as brain health. Amazing, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, without getting too technical, is DHA is, as, as you mentioned the term, polyunsaturated. What a polyunsaturated fat is, is it means it's got double bonds, which essentially means it's quite structurally flexible. A saturated fat is basically like a, a straight line. It doesn't do very much. Mm. Um, whereas a polyunsaturated fat is a lot more fluid and a lot more movable. If you imagine being on a tube train, and then if you're really stuck close together, stuck next to the person, that's kind of like a cell membrane with saturated fats. We're stuck next to each other really closely. Mm -hmm. If you open up a newspaper and spread out a little bit and take Man a bit more spreading. space, <laughs> yeah, you, you spread out. That's kind of what a polyunsaturated fat does in the cell membrane. It, it uh -huh. spreads out. Uh -huh. And in the eye, because it needs to respond to light, the, the, the bits in the eye that respond to light need to stretch. They need wow. this DHA around it to stretch. So it's very important for eye health and it affects the these these physical properties of uh, where Isn't they're that found. Amazing. So if if we go right back to the beginning when we're born, mm -hmm. if it's not in the diet and not part of us, do, do newborns then have DHA? Is it something that we're born with and that we lose or what? Thank you. That's, that's a really interesting question, a really important question. Um, one of the areas I work in is looking at preterm nutrition, preterm infants. Uh, preterm infants are a very uh, special case because depending on when they're born, they are no longer in, in utero. They're no longer in, in the, the womb. They're no longer in that environment. They're in an incubator, which is an artificial environment. And the, the largest period of brain growth is the last trimester. That's when your brain grows the most. It's when you have the largest fat deposition. So if you've ever seen extremely preterm infants, they're really thin. They don't have any body fat on yeah. them at all and they need to be in these incubators to keep them warm so you have this this period this last trimester where you have a massive increase in uh, what's called fat accretion so the amount of fat that's being taken up um, and one of the things I did uh, with uh, Dr. Laura DeRoy at St. George's Hospital was we looked at extremely preterm infants who were born at less than sort of 28 weeks mm -hmm. and we looked at their fat intake and their DHA intake was really really low mm -hmm. uh, because they um, uh, the, the sources of intake aren't sufficient to their demands. So in, in the, this environment, in the womb, you have a very high uh, fetal um, transport of these really important brain-building fats because that's what they are. They're, they're the building blocks of the brain. This, this so DHA and the arachidonic acid are required to build the brain. And in, in the uh, artificial environment of an incubator, they're not having enough for this right. brain build. I mean, uh, Professor Michael Crawford in the, the 1970s, uh, he was kind of ahead of the curve on this. And he mm. was saying that if we don't sort this out soon, we're going to have an increase in the risk, in the rate of depression, in the rate of mental disorders, because we're not giving these preterm infants the brain building nutrients they need. Wow. And that's what we see with preterm infants. They are at risk for conditions like dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, depression, yeah. all these kind of things. And one of the issues you need to think about if you are in the neonatal environment is do you treat this preterm infant as a very small baby or do you treat it as something that is in an artificial environment and you need to support it from mm. these, these key nutrients? So one of the areas that I'm there working at is, um, is donor breast milk. So for, for preterm mothers who can't provide yeah. uh, maternal breast milk, yeah. uh, there's, there's these really altruistic individuals that give donor breast milk. Amazing. Uh, and one of the things that we're looking at is how to uh, make sure that breast milk DHA levels and, and the omega-6 arachidonic levels mm -hmm. are maximised. You know, mm. So what, what advice do we give to the breast milk donors? How can we preserve the milk from the journey from you know, expression at home yeah. to the, the neonatal NICU. What can we do to make sure that the fatty acids are stable through this process? So that's one of the areas that we're looking at is how to increase the intake of these, these neonates who 
need these nutrients so much to yes. to not just develop their brain but also the rest of the body requires these fats mm. um so as a, a as a pregnant mum are you then basically building your baby with your own dha you're passing it on you are um uh, michael crawford did some some great work looking at a process called biomagnification so what this does is it looks at your your maternal circulating levels it looks at cord levels it looks at umbilical levels and it looks at over the process this dha is magnified Mm. So as a mother, um, what you're doing is you are giving your DHA mm. to the to the infant. So, one so assuming things... you've got enough to give, I mean, supposing you're not a fish eater. What's well, th this is then? this is one of the things is that the um, there is work looking at postnatal depression. Uh, is that related to low DHA levels, it's particularly if you've had infants close together or if you've had twins? Very oh, fascinating. So, so the baby has taken your DHA it, it and will. left you with a low level, which can then trigger possibly. I mean, depression. there there are, there are a series of, of uh, steps to that, yeah. but that's one of the areas that's being looking at. That breast milk is quite preterm breast milk has a much higher DHA level than term breast milk. So there is this this biological drive. You know, biology knows that the, the neonate needs the DHA. So, mm -hmm. so DHA levels are different. And also DHA levels go down the, the longer you, you breastfeed, which is one of the reasons we're looking right. at breast milk donors. So you'd need donors, really, who are in the early stages of breastfeeding. Or you need donors that are maybe taking supplements. Right. So Boosted. increasing... So, I mean, do you, if, if you take a, an essential fatty acid supplement, will that then end up in your breast milk? Yeah, so one of the things that is very responsive is breast milk DHA. So if you take a DHA supplement, your breast milk levels of DHA go up. Mm. Arachidonic acid, not so much. That's more resilient, maybe more related to body tissue stores. But yeah, one of the things that... So one of the, the quandaries that um, um, pregnant, pregnant mothers have is that they're told to increase their DHA, but they're also told to eat, you know, limit their fish because of mercury and, and all those right. other kind of yes. issues. So you've got this, this double-edged sword. Yeah. We want to have more fish, we want to have more DHA, yeah. but then there's this potential theoretical mercury risk sure. and that, that's one of the areas that is more dubious in the literature right so one of the things you need to do is, is increase your fish i mean try and avoid top predators so try and avoid you know swordfish and things like that so the larger the fish potential there's more potential for storage of mercury is that yeah right? exactly they, they eat the smaller fish you've got exactly. a bit of mercury and it all kind of accumulates exactly which brings me back to one of your earlier points about algae Mm -hmm. So algae are a very good vegan source for DHA mm. because where do fish get their DHA from? From the algae. From the algae, <laughs> yes. So what <laughs> okay. you're doing is you're just cutting yeah. out the middleman. Right. So by having the algae, you're having the DHA without having the fish. And yeah. algae, there's, I think there's a couple of companies that actually produce algae sources uh, of DHA, which are very good for, for vegans, cause mm. they're, but they're also very good for in pregnancy mm -hmm. for those, those reasons. But then you've got the other issue is that if everyone had omega-3 supplements mm. yeah what's the this going to do to algae sources well, yes, throughout exactly. the world then you end up with a sustainability issue exactly yeah. how much should we be eating do you think on a daily basis i mean are you somebody who because of your research will be eating fish three times a day that's something i don't like to say okay because i as a researcher i look at the evidence from clinical trials i look mm. at the evidence so i don't work with the individual. Right. So okay. I work. So what I can say is that societies that eat more fish yeah. tend to have less dementia, tend to have less depression. Mm. Uh, we'll, we'll come on in a minute to talk about the trials that we've done in ageing yes, and, and those kind of stuff. But as an individual, you need to look at the, the whole picture. So yeah. you can't say, you know, you as an individual, yes, you should be eating more fish and you should be cutting your omega-6s down a little bit. Yes, yeah, so to that, get that's that ratio the, back to get, in balance. To get the ratio yeah. back. I mean, even in the, the 19... Uh, 50s, uh, Hugh Sinclair was was one of the the first to say that it's the omega six to omega three ratio that's important. Right. So it's to just you know we can talk about the omega threes kind of have this love hate relationship in the papers and in the literature. One day there's a trial that says they're the greatest thing ever and you, you know you should be taking loads of them. Then there'll be another trial that say omega threes haven't worked and you know they're a waste of time. Don't bother. Um, so I mean we can talk about why there's this. You know, apparent disconnect in the in the research mm. um but you need to think about the background diets you know you need to consider um uh, william harris and clements von shackey have done some really really seminal work looking at something called an omega-3 index so this is looking at your blood levels of your omega-3 and what's the relationship between your omega-3 index and cardiovascular risk things like that and those that have a higher omega-3 index so more epa and dha in the blood mm. have a, a much greater um uh, or much lesser risk from cardiovascular disease it's, it's a very strong thing so one of the things that you should do maybe if you're thinking about 
um, you know, taking these supplements is think about what are you starting from? Where are you starting from? Are you starting from a position of having very low intake? Are you starting from a position of having lots and lots of fish? Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things you could do is look at your omega-3 index. I mean, it's a blood test, but it's, it's a way of actually mm. physically identifying are you at a low level or are yeah. you at a, a higher level? Interesting. And how does that then play into cholesterol and the whole role of sort of blood fats? Is that totally separate or do the two interplay? It's, it's a complex thing. Cholesterol... Um, cholesterol, cholesterol isn't bad per se, is it? Cholesterol in, in of itself is very important. Cholesterol is a component of cell membranes. It's also a precursor for vitamin D, for steroid hormones like, such as testosterone, estrogens, all yeah, that kind of stuff. Sure. So cholesterol in of itself is a very important biological molecule. Um, when people talk about cholesterol, they tend to be talking about the number you get, which is the circulating cholesterol. And the circulating cholesterol is carried via a range of different things. People may have heard of LDLs and HDLs. Yeah. So LDL is something called a low-density lipoprotein, which is a cholesterol carrier. And HDL is a high-density lipoprotein, which is not a cholesterol carrier. Low-density lipoprotein carries cholesterol to tissues. HDL tends to carry cholesterol from tissues and from LDL back to the liver. So mm. the LDL is supposedly the bad cholesterol and the HDL is supposedly the good one. But right. they both have very important roles. Mm. What the issue is, is if LDL becomes oxidised and damaged, then it, it has the potential to lead to atherosclerotic plaques and, and that right. kind of stuff. So cholesterol in of itself is neither good nor bad. It's, it's just a, a, an important biological molecule. However, those that have an elevated LDL tend to uh, have a greater risk for cardiovascular disease. Right. So it's a risk factor. Yep. So uh, people need to be aware of the difference between a cause and a risk factor. Mm. So LDL is a, uh, elevated LDL is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease uh, in the same way that, or analogous to, uh, a, a low omega-3 index is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Um, but you know, without getting too complicated yeah. on different pathways, <laughs> uh, yeah. cholesterol is, is a... Um, We'll talk about LDL. So LDL is a, a cholesterol carrier. The, the problem with, with fats is fats aren't soluble in water. Fats, you know, um, they're, they're tend to form a, a foamy surface. So fats need a carrier to get around the blood supply because the blood is the, the transport system that, that carries stuff around. So how do you carry a fat round in the blood? It needs a carrier. And one of the carriers is LDL. So it's a carrier for, for cholesterol. Yeah. Uh, and there's other carriers for fats as well mm -hmm. uh, within the blood. And then the, these things called dyslipidemias are where you have alterations in the blood profile of these lipid and fat carriers. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, they're all tied together, but they're all different strands yeah. of, of the same sort of thing. It's really fascinating talking about heart disease. I mean, as, as, a, as a midlife woman, I'm keenly aware that heart disease is, is the biggest killer for, for women. Um, and probably for men too. And therefore, you know, we do need to be very aware of our fats. And, and the first research that I became aware of, I was very much aware of Michael um, Crawford's work in, in the 70s when I was first writing in, in the 80s, was looking at people who were looking at fish oils in particular. There was this book called The Eskimo Diet, which was where researchers were looking at the Inuit community who live on seal blubber, blubber and, and fatty, you know, I don't know, shark meat or whatever, uh, and just living on fish oils, basically. And mm -hmm. this, this strange discovery that they have almost no heart disease. It's totally un unheard of. So how does the DHA and the EPA, how is that protecting our heart? I should have a caveat here and say that I'm brain and not okay, heart. Okay, you're a brain man. <laughs> I'm a brain, okay, so but just I'll, a very, very short answer I'll help, on that then. I'll, I'll try and can. answer that as best I can. Um, yeah, so the, the, the first resurgence in omega-3 work was the, the, the work by Dyerberg and Bang looking at the, the Inuit diet and cardiovascular health. Um, I should say slightly before that, around that time, Hugh Sinclair, um, he was doing really interesting work. He's a, a really interesting character. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to see if he could live on a kind of an Inuit diet. So he was um, importing seal into the UK just to, to try and look at the, the whale blubber and try and try and eat and try and see what the effects were if you had a, a really high omega-3 and, and low omega-6 diet. But yeah, the, the, work, of, the work of Dyberg and Bang uh, strongly indicated that the the whale blubber diet was mm. heart protective. Um, one of the things you need to appreciate is that whale blubber and fish, 
contain more than just EPA and DHA. So EPA and DHA are the primary fatty ingredients, but there's other stuff in there as well. So there's you know, magnesium and iodine, all these other kind of nutrients. Mm. So um, it's important to look at the effects of EPA and DHA. And, and there has been lots of really you know, strong work looking at the how... How does it actually affect heart function? How does it affect the contractility of the heart? How does it affect all these kind of aspects? But that's also slightly removing it from the fish intake and the, the whale blubber intake, which have other nutrients as well. Right. So, um, you know, when we come to look at why the, the fish oil trials, some work, some don't, you need to, to look at nutrition as a whole. Mm. And you can't, it's, it's, nutrition isn't a drug. So when you're giving an EPA, you're not just giving like an aspirin. You need to th consider the accessory nutrients around that. Mm -hmm. So so when you're having elevated fish intake, it's not just the EPA and the DHA you're having. Yeah. You're having the other nutrients with that. Right. So that's why it's important to, to not just think about taking the capsules, but think about yeah. having the, the nutritional intake from the, the, the fish sources. Yeah, yeah, for heart health. Yeah. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So coming on to the brain then, because this is, is for me relatively new. I'd always, I guess, because of my previous work and writing, linked omega-3s with heart health and, and cardiovascular health. But this whole role of, of looking at it within the brain, what are your main findings there? Where do you begin? Um, so, as so I we said, talked about babies and, and neonatal, yeah. really important for early brain development. Yeah. So if we look at it chronologically, is this something then that we need to continue, you know, supplementing our children? Do we need to be encouraging our children to eat fish, to be watching their omega-6, omega-3 ratios? I would say that we need to be thinking about our omega-6, omega-3 ratios. We need to be thinking about having more fish in the diet. Mm. Um, Preterm infants, as I say, are at significant risk for low levels of intake. And this is highly associated with particular diseases that neonates suffer from. So we need to look at preterm infant nutrition. And we need to look at how can we elevate their DHA and arachidonic acid in this particular group. Term infants is a little bit more complex. Um, the question is that we need to increase their, their omega-3s. We need to have more fish in the diet. We need to have more um, uh, balanced sources and decrease the omega-6s. Whether they need to be a supplement, that's a whole other issue. The, mm. the, there isn't you know, really strong evidence for term infants that supplementing. What, what we tend to find is that the, the IQ and development um, increases quite rapidly sort of like the first three to five years but mm. when you get to sort of 10 years 
other factors are just as important. So, you know, the home environment, socioeconomic status, what they do at school, their friends, their peer group, yeah. all of these things are, are, are really important. So just you can't take a, a child, give it an omega-3 capsule and, uh, and you're going to be smile. Yeah, yeah <laughs> okay. and just leave, leave them in a cage. That, right. That's it. You need to think about yeah. there's so many other factors that are really important. That being said, you know, the work of Alex Richardson, you know, she's done work looking mm. at children who have... Um, uh, things like um, dyslexia and uh, yeah. ADHD, uh, and they tend to have lower blood levels of these omega threes. And looking at supplementation, I, I, there's one study looking at sleep patterns and how they could be improved by the, the supplementation. Yeah, so she's done some really good work looking in in this kind of adolescent group. Um, yeah, and then that carries on through later teens because, I mean, their brains are obviously still growing and developing. Well, one of the areas that we started, I just started a new PhD studentship um, at uh, Roehampton and we're looking at, going to look at mental health. We're going to look at the, the role of omega-3s in mental health in, in um, adolescents, so young adults. This is a, there's a real growing awareness of mental health in you know, students who are just starting school, in the, this kind of late teens, early 20s. Uh, so we're looking... You know, at the the role of omega threes in in uh, mental health, stress, and anxiety in this particular mm. age group, mm. um, it is quite unexplored in the literature in terms of you know, yeah. the the effects. But it's and a do, very do you think that era. we're seeing it because we're seeing more preterm infants who wouldn't have survived before who are now developing into teens? We're seeing a move away from eating fish because. I don't know, culturally, it's not something that we're doing or worried about sustainability or we're becoming more plant-based eating or whatever. You know, do you think that our teenagers' brains are being affected by all of that? I think it's got to be all of the above. So, yeah, preterm infants are now surviving much earlier. So, yeah, you're getting uh, infants, you know, survival rate at 24 weeks is increasing, uh, but, you're, you know, they're, they're still suffering from morbidities related to that. Mm. So, but then that's a, a, fortunately a smaller percent of the population. But, yeah, there is a... Uh, a drive away from eating fish in the diet. There's a drive to, to more fast foods and processed foods, yeah. which have a much higher omega, you know, linoleic acid so content. That's skewing the balance again. So it's not just about eating the fish. It's making sure you don't have too much of those processed exactly. fats. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's the trans fats, it's the processed fats, it's mm. the... Um, the the problem with with omega threes is that they go rancid very quickly. Right. So if you take a fish and it's been sitting around for a couple of days, it starts to smell fishy. It's, the, mm. the fish oil's gone off. It's gone rancid. So what the manufacturers do because this rancidity is now toxic. The, the the toxic things. So the the these nice healthy polyunsaturated fatty acids once they become oxidized and rancid, they're potentially toxic. So you want to try and remove those from the diet. So what do manufacturers do to try and remove them from the diet? You partially hydrogenate stuff to make it more stable at room temperature so you've got these oils and spreads so you've got these olive oil spreads and these sunflower oil spreads that mm. are partially hydrogenated to make them more stable mm -hmm. but then the, these have got different you know effects and can so it inhibit takes, takes away a lot of the health giving properties does it, it? it takes away because what you're doing is you're you're altering the structure right, of so it's it. no longer a nice healthy fresh dha so, so it's no, well yeah you tend not to get dha in these EPA. sunflower oil spreads mm. it tends to be more the omega-6s mm -hmm. uh, but yeah so so the the omega threes are particularly susceptible to this these this damage, mm. uh, and so food manufacturers tend to remove them from the foods. Yeah. So there's the the classic pictures of the 1950s of everyone having these cod liver oil um, mm, um, yes, spoonfuls indeed. of cod liver oil. You know, people were having it, yeah. and they had lots of health benefits from that. And and yeah, should people, we go back to that? It may well not not do us any harm to, yeah. to look at. Obviously, cod liver oil is quite a low source. There's higher purity versions. But right. as I say, looking at the bigger picture, try and increase your fish intake first. Try yeah. and look at decreasing your, your omega-6 intake, particularly linoleic acid. There are situations when supplementation is would be particularly beneficial, mm. um, uh, which we can look at when, you know, when we look yeah. at the brain health yeah, side no, of I'd things. Yeah, lo I'd, I'd love to come on to that. Obviously, we are you know, very much aware of mental health. It's very much in the news. We're also aware as an ageing population that we're having much higher rates of mm -hmm. Alzheimer's and dementia. Have you looked at that specifically with your work? So my my work looks at... So I look at neuroprotection. So I look at the protecting the brain, neonate, ageing, and after neurotrauma, so traumatic brain injury, spinal cord injury, that kind of stuff. But in terms of ageing, yeah, as a, as a demographic, we are living longer we're living older um 
and the, the rates of dementia and Alzheimer's disease is the most prevalent form of dementia. You know, they, these are increasing and they are, uh, we're at risk of these as a society. Mm. So one of the things that I'm looking at is how can omega-3s be of benefit in this demographic? We know from what's called preclinical studies, so animal models and uh, in vitro work, we know that omega-3s are highly protective in terms of brain health in uh, models of Alzheimer's disease and in this kind of stuff. What hasn't translated is to the clinical trials. So there's been a, a few clinical trials that have looked at giving omega-3s to people with, with dementia and Alzheimer's, and they have pretty much failed spectacularly. They haven't really right. done very much. Um, we Is that are, because it's too late by then? That, that's a very good question, because by the time you're shod, starting to show memory loss, you've probably had the condition for 15 years or plus. Yeah, so it's a very long yeah. progressive trajectory. The, the brain is very resilient. It has a, a lot of resilience to things. So you can lose quite a lot of, of brain cells and still appear outwardly normal. So the, the brain is very good at responding to that. There may be subtle clues, you know, slight changes in temperament, slight changes in... Um, um, certain you know, awareness. But one of the things mm -hmm. I'm looking at is the relationship between walking and brain function. Because walking is a very complex task. It involves not just balance and coordination, but sensory integration. You have to you know, look at what's going on. You have to, all this kind of stuff. So walking has what's called a very high cognitive load. It takes a lot of brain capacity to walk. Isn't that amazing? Because you don't think about it, do you? You don't think it's you a don't. clever thing to do to go for a walk. It isn't. Yeah, if you ever watched a toddler trying to learn to walk, yeah, it is a very so. complex skill. It, walking is essentially just controlled falling, and okay. you need to control that. Uh, there's, there's something called dual tasking, which is where you, for example, talk on a phone. If you talk on a phone and walk, then your brain has to, to balance between am I talking about thinking about the conversation or am I thinking about walking? Mm. So it's this. And, and we, we can use these kind of outward manifestations as a window into the brain. So we can use this as a window into how is the brain responding to all of this sensory um, information. Uh, so what we know is that uh, a decline in walking speed is a strong predictor for risk factor for mild cognitive impairment, which leads to conditions like dementia. So we can use a decline in walking speed as a window into those that are going to be at risk for getting dementia. Fantastic. And mm. how, uh, you know, that's something that we might be able to monitor with ourselves or with our parents or whatever. How um, how much of a decline? I mean, you know, do you suddenly start shuffling along? Or, or you know, if, if you have like a, a paceometer or something that, that measures your speed, is, is this something that we could monitor at home? It, well, there is a... Um, um, so there's a, a simple test, and people are going to start doing this, but for there's a condition called sarcopenia, which is kind of muscle wasting. Mm. It's, it's, it's a common condition for elderly. And one of the uh, um, diagnoses or one of the, the ways of defining sarcopenia is walking at less than 0.8 metres per second. So this takes you, um, I don't know, it takes about five seconds to walk four metres, something like that. Right. So you can also use this as a cutoff, 0.8 metres per second, as a cutoff for, for risk for um, you know, dementia. So it's, it's, a, a, it's a very crude test. It's not diagnostic in any way, shape mm. or form. I don't want people to use this as a, yeah. okay, I, I'm, yeah. One of the other yeah. issues that we have is that, that normal walking speed is also a, a societal thing. We tend to walk at a certain rate based on society, based on other aspects. But if you find that, you know, you're, you can't cross the road, you know, by the time the beeping stops, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're starting to, your quality of life's going down because your walking speed is decreasing, mm. then it's, it's a, a manifestation that you know there, there is potential isn't that fascinating because i would always have assumed that that was to do with the physical slowdown that you know joints were wearing out or muscles were becoming weaker i, I absolutely would never have connected that with cognitive brain function there's lots of reasons why we can walk slower you could have had a hip operation you sure. could have twisted your ankle you could have arthritis um so there, there, there's lots of physical physical reasons yeah. why you know biomechanically why you would walk slower it, it could be arthritis it could be inflammation it could be uh back problem it could be as i say a joint issue but also um 
what is it that regulates it? What is it that controls it? It is the the, the mind-muscle connection. Mm. So there's the, the speed of processing between the, the mind sending the signal and the muscles activating. It's the, the sensory information that there's work looking at our built environment and how changes in our environments can affect people's ability to walk. So if you've got a highly complex grid pattern on the ground, this will slow down your walking speed. Or if you've got nice, clear, straight lines, you've got less sensory noise and you can walk faster so as an aging population we need to think about our built environment as well yeah, and how working this, with architects and building landscapes exactly for, for and, and how this because as you get older um the, the the sensory input from your vision from your your what's called your proprioception which is your feedback from your joints and your muscles mm. to the brain all has to deal with this loss of neurons through neurodegeneration mm. these brain cells that are affected yes. so gait is a, a, a useful i say uh, predictor for cognitive decline yeah. and so that's one of the studies that we looked at was we looked at um if we uh, supplement uh, a population uh, so we looked at women who were 65 plus 65 i think the the youngest was 65 and the oldest was 84 and we supplemented them for uh, six months what did this do to their gait speed and what did this do to their um, mental tests mm -hmm. uh, and we found that compared to the placebo the the treated group was able to walk significantly faster so there was a uh, in six months. In six months. Because what happens is in six months, there's going to be a gradual decline in, in walking speed. We expect that. So that's mm. that's a normal predicted decline in walking speed. So what happened was, was that the, the group that were given the dummy capsule, the placebo, they had the, the predicted decline in walking speed. And the group that had the supplement had a very slight increase in walking speed. Yes. But what this manifested was at six months, there was a, a an important clinically relevant difference sure. between the normal decline and the, and the fact that um, you've actually got an uplift, a slight, yeah, slight preservation. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was it was a small study, and it mm. needs to be replicated. But it was interesting. It was, mm. um, and it's it ties in with other research that shows that people that, that have more fish um, say that they t they do have a slightly better walking. There was a nice study looking at that. But what we also found was that there are improvements in um, uh, a um, a certain kind of memory called mm -hmm. verbal memory. Mm -hmm. So with verbal memory, what you do is you recite a series of words, you recite 12 words, and then the individual has to remember them back. So it's called verbal memory. And there was an improvement in this verbal memory between the two groups. Uh, and there was also a um, uh, improvement in a kind of reaction time mm -hmm. it's called psychomotor response latency and it's basically what you have is you have a cross on a screen and you just have to tap the cross mm -hmm. so there was an improvement in this an improvement in, in verbal memory and improvement in the gate speed in this this mm -hmm. kind of pilot study uh, which is really interesting and um, what's interesting from what you're saying there is this is in people who are 65 plus yeah so they so were it's not too late to make a difference you talked earlier about brain plasticity and the yeah. fact that we can actually make a difference yeah so we one of the the uh, drawbacks of the study was that we had quite strict what's called exclusion criteria. So the, the people needed to be able to walk a certain distance because we had tests to, to do that. One of the tests that we had, I mean, this was done with uh, Dr. Siobhan Strike and, and Alison Carlisle and Dr. Lee Gibson at Roehampton. Siobhan wanted to see what their um, uh, overall power and balance and coordination was. So we got them jumping up and down. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to get that through the ethics, we needed to, to make sure that they were very healthy and stable to, right. to get them to jump. Because yeah. um, it's, it's, it's a great way of testing you know, the, the landing, the coordination on landing, the ability mm. to, to coordinate muscles. Uh, we didn't find an improvement in the two groups, but you know, we, we got these, these kind of, uh, I hate to use the term, but these little old ladies to come in and, and jump right. up and down. Um, <laughs> and we used some, some really nice technology. So we used this, this Vicon equipment, which is where you have these little um, kind of sensors on the ankles, the knees and the hips. Mm. It's the same technology that was used to, to make Gollum in Lord of the Rings. So it's really? quite, quite really, yeah, really nice technology <laughs> um, to, to monitor their, their abilities in these different tasks. Um, and yeah, we've, we found that the, yeah, there are improvements in the walking speed, but the the criteria to be in the trial meaning that you you, know, you couldn't take fish or right. you couldn't take supplements yeah yeah you, you needed to be healthy you needed to be asymptomatic you needed to be able to do this task jump up and down jump up and down yeah. walk up and down no hip surgeries right. so our actual uh, group of participants were a very able demographic 
Right. Um, and yes. they were, you know, they were very good at what they did. So you were excluding mm. those so, who were potentially in most need. Possibly. Yeah. So exactly. So, um, so what we know from the what we from the trials that we've seen so far, the trials that have shown most benefits from the omega three tend to be in populate older populations mm. that don't show the signs of dementia and Alzheimer's. By the time you're starting to show the outward signs, the memory loss and yeah. these kind of things, you've had the condition for quite a while and it's unlikely that the little fish oil capsule is going to have a profound effect. Mm. So you need to be considering taking it prior to symptom yeah. onset, prior to, to looking at that. And the, the, the supplement we gave, the capsule we gave, wasn't just DHA, it had in it uh, B vitamins, it had in it uh, vitamin E, it had in it um, something called phosphatidylserine, which is a, um, a, another kind of lipid. So it had a range of nutrients in it. Mm -hmm. We wanted to, to look at a, um, a multi-nutrient complex to yeah. see, because um, nice work from uh, Smith up in Oxford looking at the role of B vitamins in brain aging. Um, uh, so there's, and he's found uh, those that uh, responded best to the B vitamins had higher blood levels of omega threes, so we need so to it's think. All of, working together. So it's this this synergy between mm. nutrients. It's this balance between nutrients. So it's not just a single compound, you know. Yeah. And that's so we need to think about the the relationship between things, and that's why I need to think about the the background diet as well. Mm. Well, you've certainly given literally food for thought. <laughs> And I'm going to be looking very carefully at, uh, again, at my own diet and also significantly at my, my children um, and my parents who, um, you know, are obviously ageing. They're ageing well, showing no signs. Um, but maybe, maybe I should be going and measuring their gait and just thinking, asking the question, how much fish are they eating? What supplements are they taking? Is there something that we can do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is, is you need to, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, to briefly touch on was that why you get this message that one day omega-3s are beneficial, one day they're, they're, yeah. they're no, no, there's no benefit, is that when we do trials, we look at a large population, you know, it, it can range from 10 people to group to you know, thousands per group, mm. and we are giving them, you know, the same dose because we want to make sure that we know what dose is working, and we're expecting a range of different people to respond to the same dose. Some people will be having fish, some people won't be having fish, some people will have omega-6 ratios in their nice. diet. Um, one of the things that you find with large trials is that they're run by trial running companies and they'll say, you know, take your, your capsule in the morning, take your capsule at the same time of day. Take an fish oil capsule on an empty stomach, take an fish oil capsule with your breakfast, it's unlikely to get in the system. Why is that? Because in order to absorb lipids, the whole lipid digestion machinery needs to be activated. Right. You need to you know, release bile. The gallbladder needs to release bile into the, the small intestine. And how you do you get to, it to do that? The, the way you do that is you have a, a large fatty diet, a large fatty meal. Okay. So if you're having your fish oil capsule, you should have it with your largest meal of the day. Really? Because That's really, you really need that advice. machinery in order to and have absorb fat in the, the meal. So you have some avocado or some olive oil or some eggs. Yeah, or, exactly. Know, if, you, if you've meat. got fat in the in the system, mm. then that triggers the brain. I've got fat. I need to absorb it, and right. you start doing this. So just taking a fish oil capsule on an empty stomach, or with you know, you know your toast in the morning, or whatever. Yeah, yeah you can have. 10 grams of omega-6s a day or omega-3 a day, it won't get in the system because mm. you're not having that digestive machinery yeah. to absorb it. So that's why, you know, in clinical trials, you know, you need to make sure that there's changes in, in blood levels. So you need to monitor the people at the beginning, monitor them at the end to see if their omega-3 levels have gone up. Right. You so need that to, would skew the results then, clearly. It would massively if, skew if, the results. people are having a high-fat meal with their supplement, they're going to get more out of it than if they've been told to eat it, you know, first thing or take exactly. it first thing. Exactly, yeah. So so that that's Crazy. an issue. And uh, also there's there's what's called biochemical individuality. We're all different. Yeah, sure. we, all, we all respond differently. Yep. Certain, um, uh, what's called genotypes, so certain groups of people don't respond well to omega-3 supplements. You know, they don't absorb them in the same way. Mm -hmm. they, they don't metabolize them as efficiently. So there's, there's different, you know, high metabolizers, there's low metabolizers. So there's, there's genetic variability around who responds most to them. So, that, and, and so there's background diets, there's people that have higher levels to begin with, in which case they're going to be less likely to respond to it. <laughs> so there's all these pitfalls. And the, the way you look at if a, a supplement works is you do something called a randomized controlled trial. Mm. So you have a group of people, you randomly assign them to two groups. One gets a placebo, one gets the 
fish oil capsule and then you look at the effects. That's the, the gold standard way of doing it. For nutrition, that's terrible. Right. That's a, it's, it's a terrible <laughs> way of doing it because randomized controlled trials work incredibly well if you're looking at some kind of some kind of drug because you have one group that has it and one group that doesn't have it. Mm. So you've got presence of drug and then placebo. Whereas with omega-3s, even the group that's in the placebo, they're going to be having omega-3s in their diet. You know, sometimes they know they're in a fish oil study, so they'll eat more fish. Mm. So you don't have this clear delineation between the two groups. Mm. So that kind of skews the interpretation of the data. So double-blind placebo-controlled randomized trials are the, the gold standard. They're the best way of doing it. But you need to acknowledge that they work well for have something, don't have something. Yeah. With nutrition, it's have a little bit more, have a little bit less. Yes. And that's why, you, you know, even with large studies, even with lots and lots of people, this can skew the results. That's so, really so you need to Thank you, because you need... I, I do come across this, and I'm sure many of, of, of my listeners too will, will see different headlines mm -hmm. where studies will say different things and will conflict, and that's yeah. a really clear explanation as, as yeah. to why that might be. News, yeah. We are going to have to finish it there. Okay. We could carry on. <laughs> Please come back. I love, you know, you are talking my language. Language. Fats and oils is, is one of the places it, it all started Brilliant. for me in the world of well-being. So thank good. you so much. Good. Really, thank you really very much. Thank you for inviting me. And that is indeed all we have time for today. As always, you can find the links and the resources mentioned in today's show over on lizardwellbeing.com, where you can sign up to the free weekly newsletter. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. And if you'd like, I'd love it if you could find a moment to leave a review as it really does help other potential listeners to find the show and maybe the help they may well need. Until the next time, go well. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.